You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Outdoor Edge introduces the all-new Razor Guide Pack. Coming in at 12 ounces and in a premium wax canvas roll pack for compact storage and travel, the Razor Guide Pack is seven blades in total, including a 5-inch replaceable blade folding knife, a 3-inch replaceable blade caping knife, and the flip and zip saw for wood or bone. Whether you're hunting the back 40 or chasing game deep in the backcountry, the Razor Guide Pack has it all. For more information, visit OutdoorEdge.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Antler Up Podcast. What's going on, everybody? We're back for another episode of the Antler Up Podcast. And for this week's episode, Dimitri and I, we were joined by Matt Wiswesser from Venator Human Performance and Nodens Outdoors. With the season fast approaching for us here in Pennsylvania and a lot of states already kicking off, Matt shares some strength training and mindset strategies to keep you ready and prepared for your hunts. Matt is Noden's Outdoors Chief of Operation and shares some awesome things that they have going on for this upcoming season for veterans through bow hunting, outdoors, and performance human performance and this upcoming season is going to be awesome for these guys and matt is a hunter from northern new jersey and shares his experience hunting private and public land with my background in sports and exercise science dimitri the same thing being in physical therapist ultimately this is a fun conversation about improving your own self as a hunter and an individual so definitely check out matt and what he has going on and before we get into this week's episode, I want to share with you a discount code that's going to help you save some money and get ready for the upcoming hunting season. And fall is here, and there is no better way to start your morning before a hunt or celebrate after a successful hunt than with some Black Rifle Coffee. Black Rifle Coffee Company is a veteran-owned coffee company serving premium coffee to people who love America. Fuel your next adventure and purchase at blackriflecoffee.com and use code ANTLER at checkout to save 20% off your purchase and or your first coffee club subscription. Last year was a wild year for censorship for hunters and anglers. We partnered with social media platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media censorship. Go Wild was built by outdoorsmen and women by hunters and anglers just like you. Go Wild is a free social community. Not only are your photos not censored, they're encouraged on Go Wild. And Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. As you earn points, you unlock awesome rewards too, such as gift cards, free swag, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and so much more. Oh, and if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. Visit and download GoWild.com to get started. So let's get into this week's episode. Uh, hey, everybody. We'll, we'll go live here with the new episode of the Antler Up podcast. And we are joined on the yeah, other line today yeah, with Matt Wiswesser from New Jersey. Matt, thanks for coming on the show, man. I appreciate having me. Well, dude, it's, it's exciting. Like we were just saying, we're a like-minded individual, so this should be a, a good one and see what rabbit holes we really get down for this. But, you know, coming out of New Jersey – Talk a little bit about who you are and what your program you're running, and obviously touch upon what your role is with uh, Noden Outdoors. Okay, so Matt Wiswesser from North Jersey, uh, about 15 minutes outside New York City. Um, I now own and run Benatora Human Performance, so uh, a training program for hunters and jiu-jitsu athletes. Um, I don't, I don't want to go down the weeds of jujitsu too much, but we could definitely touch on that a little bit. Uh, but yeah, I just, uh, I work as a contractor for the government, for the Department of Energy, and I teach human performance and uh, saw how 
teaching that subject matter could translate over to our field of hunting and the benefits of that. And I saw a need for it. So I was just like, okay, definitely could start a business doing this. Um, worked as an athletic trainer for about 15 years, uh, worked professional sports all the way down to middle school, found my niche in high school sports and uh, did that for a good stint amount of time. And then I said, okay, I've had enough of this time to start my own business and dive full time into that. So, um, you know, in that, in the course of that, I joined the nonprofit to volunteer for called No Dens Outdoors. Um, I forget what my title actually is. I think it's a director of operations. Uh, so on the board, uh, director of operations, but I lead the human performance side of it. So, and the majority of the hunting aspect, but now working with the cook family, we're starting to divvy all of that up. But, um, we take eight special operations veterans or um, operators that are transitioning out and we give them bow hunting as uh, the proxy to help them transition. So um, they come from a lifestyle of, of very similar skill sets. And what we try to do is find them something that is very similar to that. Um, so it makes the transition easier, but uh, we've come to find out that um there's just more to it than just uh, the skills that they have. So it's providing for their family um, is like one of the biggest things. So now they, they feel like they have this nice purpose to give back to their family. Uh, the fact that you can get out into the woods is a, such a meditative type of feeling, uh, which is something that really only started resonating for me a few years ago. Uh, so now I'm starting to get that aspect of a little bit more, but being out in nature has this calming effect. Um, and that's what I do with the human performance side of stuff is I, I see the benefits of that. And, and we're tracking that with node ends. So they have wearable sensors called the aura ring. Um, so we teach them human performance and then we give them a whole week in California, teach them. I mean, it was the most intense week long training of hunting that I've ever experienced. Uh, from the time they pick up a bow, rarely ever shooting their bow to full butchering animals. Um, and shooting on a 3D course out to 97 yards and, I mean, dropping some heart shots. Uh, it was super impressive. Um, and now we're going to take them to Virginia in November. And we uh, I think we have 300 acres on an apple orchard that we have full access to. And so all eight guys are going to go hunt. We're going to do a lot of saddle hunting. Uh, and then now they get to take what they learned in the classroom in Julian, California, and, and bring it to you know, the real life situation. Um, so it's, it's really nice to, to give back in that manner. Yeah. It's a good time. So, well, when you talk about the classroom to the hunt thing, like that's what I love. Like you were saying, you, you immediately already out there in California, you were, cause I know AJ has did a lot of, of back, you know, behind the scenes type of situations for the, the program of getting the bows all set up and dial for these guys. And then you get them out there and they're, you know, I know they were, they received their bows prior to this, but it's a matter mm -hmm. of, you know, you know how the training, the personal training <laughs> thing is you could, you, yeah. you see them maybe two, three times a week, but you don't know what they're doing the other, you know, four, <laughs> four to five days a week. So in that world, you know, here you are, you, you practice, you're shooting 97 yards, you're doing a 3d course, you're learning how to, to, you know, field dress an animal at that point and come November, you know, do these guys plan on trying to possibly get out even like prior to that trip by, at all? Yeah, so um, some of them have hunting experience, but not bow hunting experience. Uh, one of the members, um, Mac, actually just shot a bear in oh, Montana, I believe. Um, so I'm trying to think he's the only one that's been out so far. Um, the rest of them are just slinging arrows, just in preparation. So, it, you know, when we got to Julian, some of the guys were shooting beforehand. Um, some of them were a little nervous that they wanted like in-person instruction before they picked it up and created some bad habits. Uh, the one guy, Marcus was so intense that he started to shoot from his roof because he was just like, well, I'm going to be in a tree stand. So I need to be able to shoot down this way. So he was shooting out from like one corner of his yard to the other corner. And then he's like, okay, I need to make this harder. So he's like taking a ladder up onto his roof and shooting from his roof. Uh, so we had the full spectrum of, of guys on what their abilities were. Uh, in the self-learning aspect of it. But, uh, you know, they got to Julian 
and uh you know aj did a great job breaking down the whole bow like this is what a bow is this is all the parts of it this is our shooting fundamentals and within some of these guys from never picking up a bow five hours later are grouping 60 yard shots you know like this so the fact that it was easily translated from their previous work of pistol shooting and rifle shooting uh, as long as you can hit those like key talking points they're just like oh this makes so much sense yeah. You know, front aperture, rear aperture, like with a pistol, uh, they're just like, oh, okay, got it. And then they they, they were shooting better than I was. And I've been shooting for like eight years. Yeah. Um, but I think I picked up more information than they did just being a fly on the wall and listening to AJ. And I'm like, I'm supposed to be doing it that way? Uh, I guess I'm going to start doing it this way now. <laughs> so uh, my shooting cleaned up a lot just by being there too. So it was, it's, it was an awesome experience. That's cool. Well, yeah. I, I, I even like the fact that you said that the program starts out with the, the human oh, performance aspect because we all know the importance of preparation of, you know, getting ready to shoot our bow, you know, and with us all kind of having the, the physical, you know, background uh, that, you know, preparing the muscles and, and making sure that they're ready to kind of do a thing like archery is very important because, you know, in a lot of these, uh, you know, people in the program they're not you know they're strong individuals right you know but you know you're training different muscles with archery and 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 making sure that you're exercising the proper ones and like you said you know not just shooting technique but even utilizing the wrong muscles when you're starting to shoot a bow for the first time really could cause some injury and you know you want to make sure you have that prevention before you even pick up that bow well, if you think about like archery, just the odd positions that you sometimes have to be in, you know, your feet are facing one way or rotated a completely opposite way, or you're tracking the deer and you have to now rotate back and forth. I mean, how many times have you ever done that in the weight room? Right. So, um, you know, we talked about that one, you know, early on about working some mobility work and, and being able just to move into that position. Um, and then how do we strengthen from, you know, that re that newly found mobility now we need to strengthen in that position because you know it's one thing to rotate but it's another thing to hold back 50 to 70 pounds uh on that draw weight and then now rotate through that so you know we kind of talk through you know what training should look like now that they're out um or what training should look like just in general specifically for archery because there's western hunting there's saddle hunting there's tree stand hunting uh there's spot and stalking even on the east coast so you know, um, blind hunting. So, you know, all of those have very different dynamics on what the demands are. So some of the guys live out in California. Some of them live in Arizona. You know, they're kind of Tampa. They're kind of scattered all over the place. So we, we address all of it. We're just like, listen, if you're going to be out in the mountains, like you better start rucking uh, and preparing to ruck, right? Because you're putting, you know, 10,000 steps or, you know, you're walking like 10 miles, you know, just to stalk animals. Um, and then good luck. Like when, you, once you shoot at like an elk and you have to pack out a hundred pounds, <laughs> you know, cause you hiked in six miles to go shoot it. And I got to hike it back out six miles, a hundred pounds on your back. So, um, multiple times, you know, <laughs> multiple times. Yeah. Right. Unless yep. you got a group of friends. Yep. So, uh, yeah. So we kind of talked about those scenarios and that was like, uh, an opening experience for them of like, okay, like we know how to train, but, um, we don't know how to train for this. So um, we just talked about that and, and what that looks like. But with them, for it's more important about like HRV and like their resting heart rate and just some health concerns potentially of, of being an operator and now transitioning out, like how to start living a better lifestyle in order so that they could be a better father, better, you know, husband, um, you know, things of that nature. Because, you know, hunting is a beautiful thing, but we still need to be a better person along with that. So, um, you know, that was first and foremost of just get them to, before we introduced archery was like, Hey, how can we improve our lifestyle now that you're getting out? How can we deal with, you know, all the stresses of life of transitioning out? And then like, here's this device that you wear to sleep that looks like a wedding band, super unintrusive, you know, take it off in the morning. Good to go. It's like, now you take that data and you're like, okay, what does this data mean? And then how can I adjust my life the next day in order to, you know, accommodate what that's telling me. Um, and then that goes into like, you know, we talked about the working out, you know, they're so used to just getting after it. It's hard for, for me to tell them like, you don't need to get after it anymore. Like 
do you need to kill yourself in training? Like, do you need to push that limit? Like why? Um, and that was a, that's a good discussion that we had because they're like, well, I need to stay fit. And I'm like, well, fit for what? Right. And then, and then, so we had to like start to reframe, you know, what the training was for, you know, for me, it's just like, well, you know, I don't have any kids, but, uh, I've like, I think two nieces, yeah, it's two nieces, four nephews now. Um, so it's like, well, I want to be fun uncle Matt, but if I, you know, I, my day started at five forty-five today, uh, you know, and we're, we're still going straight through. So I know like once we get off this call and I like, if I went to my brother's house and I had to like read bedtime stories, like how can I be emotionally available for my nephews or my niece? Um, so for me, like the training aspect of things is like dramatically changed. And then now that goes into hunting. So how does, how can I train to be a better hunter? Because, us East Coast people know, like, you sit in a tree stand all day, I need to be mentally sharp because, you know, you don't want to be falling asleep. So um, do I need to be doing these heavy deadlifts anymore? You know, like, I'm not winning any world records. No one's coming and slapping me on the back saying, good job for deadlifting, you know, 500 pounds. So uh, I think about, you know, is this workout going to make me a better person? Is this workout going to make me a better hunter? You know, and, and what other facets I have in my life, like, I want to be able to train jujitsu for the rest of my life. So is this workout going to hold me back from training jujitsu? Um, you know, things of that nature. So that's always how I start looking at training. And now I'm trying to portray that, you know, with the node crew and uh, with Benator as well of like, Hey, we want sustainable training. Uh, what does sustainable training look like? Well, if we have a very specific goal, then we can definitely build a training program towards that. But if we're just training to, for life, and longevity, then like we need to take in other, other aspects into consideration, like hunting, family, um, you know, other activities that you want to do, like if you're outdoorsy and, and whatnot, um, you know, that's the stuff that I start to look at. And then we have to sculpt the program based off of that. That is one thing that always drove me crazy, especially before I became a, a PT is, is the lack of knowledge for, for hunting fitness, right? You know, which is we know now that it's totally different process than what, what it, you know, was before, which it really wasn't anything, you know, because I remember, you know, trying to find things, research online, and, you know, what you would get is your generalized lifting, right? You like your squats and your deadlifts and, you know, um, which we all know are great exercises, but that we know that's not going to tailor specifically to hunting or what style of hunting you know, that I do, right. You know, so when I transitioned into PT school, you know, I being a huge hunter myself, when I'm sitting there in class and I, I you know, they would go over an exercise or, you know, the, the rotator cuff and, you know, light bulbs kept clicking in my head and I'd always go back to, you know, man, that would be good for archery. You know, that would really make me a better hunter, you know? So, so I was always getting those concepts and, you know, and, and, you know, when I see people, the lack of knowledge for hunting specific of, you know, trying to educate people in the wrong way, you know, it, it kind of um, shows that there's just not that, that ability to, to know what to do specifically and, and trying to educate people is, is really hard because we get so used to things, right. You know, like before being a PT, I, I was uh, training for football, which is, you know, like you said, kind of beating your body and, and going hard at it all the time. So the try to transition into that, that new lifestyle is really hard to grasp that concept. It's funny that you mentioned football because that's <laughs> literally the example I was going to give of like that old school coach of like, well, this is what I did. This is what you're going to do. Uh, I feel like that's a, a lot of the mentality when it comes to, you know, fitness with hunting. It's like, well, this is what I did in order to get into shape or, or this is what I did for college football or high school football. And I was in shape then. So I'm just going to do it for hunting now. Um, but one of the, the things I think I specialize in is called, I, you know, I've heard it called reverse engineering. So I, I look at what the, the demand of the sport is and then, okay, how do we build a program based off of being good at that? So if we think about tree stand hunting, we're, we gotta be really good at sitting, but I, I need to make sure that like when time comes, like I need to be able to stand up and execute perfectly. So can I unchair shape myself? So that way, like uh, when I get up, I can actually stand fully up and I'm not hinged at the hips now. My shoulders aren't rolled forward and now I have to try to draw back a bow with a compromised structure. So, um, so it's, you know, it's, do I do a lot of posterior chain activation? So that way, you know, 
if I'm sitting for long periods of time, I know I can stand up and my posterior chain is going to be at least a little bit more activated than it is if I did a ton of bench pressing. So, um, that's the way I start to look at it. It's, it's like, okay, this is what the demand of your activity is. Now let's try to reverse engineer so that you don't look like your activity. And then you're able to uh, like perform the way that we need to perform. And that's a weird concept for a lot of people to hear because they're so used to like, well, you need to squat bench press, you know, you know, bigger, faster, stronger. Uh, it was like an old school lifting yeah. tech like program. Um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, it's like, well, I might not follow a traditional training program because it might not call for it that day. Like I love to, I love to bench press. I love to deadlift. I love to squat. I love to row. Those are like my four big lifts that I love to do. But if, you know, I don't sleep well or, you know, like I've been teaching virtual classes the last, uh, like two days, eight hour days, a lot of sitting, but you know, my dog, decided to run a marathon in bed the other night in the middle of the night. And I think I slept for like three or four hours. So like, is it, is it the appropriate time to do the heavy deadlifts or like uh, a deadlift workout? Or should I just do like a body weight workout, just get a light sweat going. But that like helps me move a little bit better for what I need for that day. So it's been a tough thing for me because I was in the fitness industry for about like, I think I'm going on like 12 years now. And like, well, no, like you got to grind and get after it. Like, you know, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Like sucks for you. This is what the program says to do. And now I'm just like, cool. That can wait till tomorrow when I get better sleep tonight. Um, and that's a hard thing for a lot of people because they're super traditionalist and like, well, Monday's international chest day and then, you know, and so on and so forth. So you have to hit those lifts and like, okay, but maybe, you know, maybe we don't need to do that or maybe we need to modify the weight we're doing. So maybe I still do, you know, deadlifts, but it's going to be super lightweight, just as more of activation instead of like a true strength day. Um, and that's like, that's a weird concept for a lot of people to hear because they're like, well, how am I going to make gains? I'm like over time, but I'm not beating my body up and putting unnecessary wear on it, you know, as I train because all of my training needs to be a hundred percent purposeful. So if I'm training in a way that's going to cause excessive wear and tear, I'm not going to be able to do the stuff I want to do for as long as I want to do it. So I'm okay with not doing the workout I wanted to do and doing the workout I needed to do. Right. And that's, and that's hard yeah. for people to hear. Well, and at the three of us here all saddle hunt and that is like, I mean, it's, it's changed everything for me as far as hunting goes, even on private public, it doesn't matter. Uh, and, there is a thing called getting into saddle shape. I mean, just, and that's the thing of like, Dimitri, I loved when uh, a couple episodes when you would talk about like some of the stretches that you would do in the saddle to kind of help, you know, make sure that in the heat of a moment you would be ready because you weren't stiff and kind of like what Matt was per saying, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, even before even getting in the saddle, a lot of things I do is, you know, a lot of core and proprioceptive, you know, exercise where, you know, cause I know that, you know, shooting out of a saddle takes a lot of core strength and, and stability, um, to execute that, that perfect shot, which, which isn't difficult once you train for that, right? At first it, it's kind of difficult and awkward, which we've all kind of gone through that phase. But then once I've kind of tried it and, and knew what, what it was going to entail to make good shots out of the saddle, that's when I could go in and tailor my training specific to that right you know so you know getting on the a bosu ball and you know standing and and doing some of my rows on that right where i'm challenging my feet where i'm kind of on an unstable surface and and moving my arms like i would be drawing the bow and you know um whether i'm doing like a kettlebell uh rdl or, or something like that i would put a foam pad down right so any way i'm doing my arms or my legs i'm adding a core component to that that way, when I get in the saddle, I'm ready to make those shots and I feel steady. Yeah, that's and, and Matt, like talk a little bit about like your experience with that, just because that has helped me understand, like 
that core strength and like what Dimitri was saying, that's the things that I've been incorporating more because we've all been down that line of, of doing different trying to training styles. But you know, that is the one thing is the core. And even though it may not look like in the sense of rocking a, a six pack, but my core is a lot stronger than it's ever been. And like Dimitri was saying, certain shots, it's especially some of like swinging around the tree and holding that position that like, it's an awkward position to someone new to saddle hunting, but like for, for us now it it's second nature, but to maybe have to hold it a, a position, not necessarily holding drawn back, but being there and then be ready to draw back and be able then even from that point in time to hold that drawback, you know, talk a little bit about, I guess, your experience of things that you've done to get in saddle shape and other things like that. I was, um, I was really surprised on how difficult it was the first time I got in a saddle just to be in the saddle and just move around. Mm -hmm. So I knew that there was a lot of, um, I did a lot of anterior tib work because I was underhooking the platform a lot more than I thought I would be. Um, so that was like the first surprise for me, but then just the core stability to be able to kind of swing around and not keep going, uh, (laughs) That is, that is the number one, listen, yeah, I mean, we, I'm the first day I tried it at Dimitri's house, what, three and a half years ago, I did that. And I was like, what is going on here? And, you know, I mean, a lot goes into that, but it, I mean, for me this past summer and I mean, heck since January and Dimitri and I, we held, we hosted two different like events between the two of us, like last two Mays ago. So not this past May, but two Mays ago. And then all, so basically throughout the, the year and a half, we've hosted a handful of, of events and I've been with Tether doing a bunch of events with them as well. That is like the number one thing you see if someone's not in the, I want to say like the most athletic shape, I guess you could say. So like someone you could just look at and there, you know, they're, they might work out, but they're not you know, they're not going out there training in, in a certain way. The first thing that as soon as I, they start to move, they are like gripping on because with both hands onto, onto the pole or uh, the tree that we use because they can't control their body. And I just, it's so hard for me to then I'm like, just be athletic, be athletic, be, and I, I don't know how many times I say that to people, just be athletic in this and it just control yourself. But yeah, that is what the number one thing that I see is those people just swinging from side to side and coming off. It's, it could kind of, you know, it's, I don't even, it's frustrating because you're, you're walking them through at the same time, but then, you know, they, hopefully they, they end up getting it, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a sight to behold at first. Well, it's, it's like doing personal training where you're trying to have a client move a very specific way and you're like move your hand above your head and they kind of like go like this and you're like no i said above your head and they go, they go out this way and you're like <laughs> all right so like let's try to break this down a little bit better um but one of the one of the things that i've tried to work on the most is being able to disassociate the upper half from the lower half uh but being able to use that through the core connection Right. So I want to be able to move my, my legs independently from where my torso is. Um, and then vice versa. So if my, my legs are planted, I want to be able to move my upper body, uh, accordingly. So I do a ton of body weight exercises. Um, that looks like, um, mobility training, flow training. There's a bunch of different names for it, uh, where it kind of also looks like I'm break dancing. Um, but I know that that's what happens in saddle hunting. So I want to try to not do saddle hunting, but I want to try to mimic it as closely as possible um, because I don't want to get any overuse injuries by doing repetitive motions of the same, like I don't want to get into a saddle and then just like swing a kettlebell around or just shoot from the saddle all the time. Um, so I try to mimic it as closely as possible. So I, I do body weight first um, to make sure I can move that under my own um, tension. And then if I can add uh, a kettlebell or a club bell, um, Suranax has that center mass bell, I think it's called, yep. uh, which I, when I was in California, that was the first time I used them. And yeah, like, yes, definitely now, we'll for, be ordering some for, for those. What do you recommend? Because man, I I've had those in my cart like 10 different times and just, you know, I've talked to a, another buddy of mine that it kind of in that same field that we're all like the three of us are in and he 
messes with uh he uses like an one from on it and all that type of stuff and i think he has multiple sizes for those for people that are listening or maybe don't necessarily know what we're talking about it looks like a real uh like a baseball bat and then the knob at the top of it it had it looks like a bowling ball and and it's the the whole mass weight is there but you know where like what is a good starting weight for even for people like us that are you know, training in a sense. Uh, okay. I'll, I'll give the best example. I was at the Arnold classic, uh, with a company where we were promoting them and, um, they, we had the tens, 15s, 25s, 35s, and 45s. And every single person walked up to the 45 and tried to lift it off the ground and couldn't. Um, I've been using them for over a decade now and I have every single weight, I've used the 45 pound like five times. Um, so the lighter, the better, because I want to work more shoulder range of motion exercises specifically for that one. So I can do like getting behind my head, pulling forward and, and working a lot of range of motion, posterior chain activation with it. Um, I was looking around to see if I had one close by that I can grab real quick, but um, I don't, uh, I would say like 15 pounds is a good starter weight. Uh, or you can, for like guys that work out, I'd say maybe a 25 pounder, but I would do two handed exercises with it first, uh, to figure out how it moves. Cause, um, again, it's, it's a weighted baseball bat or, you know, it's the easiest way to, to think about it. It's very awkward. Um, and you're swinging it around your head. Um, I've clipped my head a couple times. If like when I like <laughs> let it get a little loose and not pay attention. So it's not a fun experience. Um, but the 25 pounds, a good one for guys that actually do exercise quite a bit are a little bit stronger, but I always start two handed work first with that, get the hang of the movement, build some shoulder strength because it's surprising how little shoulder strength you have when you're in these oddball positionings. Um, and then from there, you know, the handle is, is X amount of length. So then you choke up on it as high as you can. Um, and then you slowly just start going like hand grips down then, and it adds more weight to it. So if you have the 25 and you grip all the way to the top of the, you know, in the middle of the handle up as high as you can, uh, you know, generic numbers here, it might be 20 pounds. And then if you go like one hand hold down, it might be like 21 pounds. And it's, you know, and you're like at the very bottom is when it feels like 25. So you can modulate the weight based off of where your grip is uh, and build up that way. Um, if you have the expense to buy enough, you know, a 15 and a 25 is a great place to start because you can do two handed work with the 25 and then one handed work with the 15 and not have a problem. But, um, highly suggest you work with a coach on that because I've had clients come to me and they're like, yeah, I watched YouTube videos on it. And like, I know what I'm doing. And, uh, they start moving it around. I'm like, no, we need to stop. Uh, <laughs> because like we got some work to do. Um, there's a lot of micro movements when involved in that, um, in order to make sure that, you know, we're safe with handling it just to make sure that we're not, um, getting it like out of control because it uses centrifugal force. So the, the force is actually multiplied. So that 25 pounds is not truly 25 pounds when you're swinging it, you know, it's significantly higher. So, um, that thing can get away from you. Uh, I've launched the 35 pound one through sheetrock, uh, hands, it was super sweaty, swung it out, and I tried to catch it midair, and I just watched it sail into my sheetrock. Um, it leaves a nice size hole, you know, to patch up. But, um, you know, that thing will, will yank you out of position very quickly. So if you want some good core strengthening, there's nothing like having something trying to pull you off of the ground, uh, and you have to now stabilize and, and hold that in place. Um, which it's a, it's a fun experience once you get the, the knack of it. Well, the two of so. you, I think could really speak even like, cause Matt, you have the, you've been working with those for 10 plus years and you're working with clients with that. And then Dimitri, you obviously have more of that PT background like to that. I mean, the core and just the shoulder, uh, strength that, that specific, you know, piece of equipment could do is, is tenfold. Yeah. And I, I think the one thing that, that, you know, people need to understand is when we're talking here is, you know, there's not just one cookie cutter, you know, way to go about strengthening for hunting or archery. You know, there's several different things that you can do. And obviously, you know, there's things that we're talking about are better for you than, than others. 
but you know, the biggest thing is, is we're talking about, and especially Matt keeps bringing up posterior chain, right? You know, we're not talking about one specific muscle that we're exercising, right? You know, archery and, and hunting is, is, is kind of a combination of several at a single time, right? And that's the way you want to train, whether it's your core or it's your, your shoulder, your, your shoulder works as a unit, the whole shirt uh, shoulder girdle right is going to be activated in a certain way depending on what movement you want to achieve so you know th- that's the way you want to exercise and, and strengthen a lot of your muscles and not just saying hey i want to work you know pecs or you know lats right you know you want to work those together in combination movements which simulates uh more specifically to hunting yeah no, I think that's great because, again, we're trying to get away from that bodybuilder mentality. Um, we're trying to build athletes, and uh, you cannot be a bodybuilder uh, when it comes to training athletes. So, again, compound movements, trying to work the whole body and, and incorporate as many things as possible. Uh, like, I mean, I use bands. We do body weight, club bells, kettlebells. Uh, you know, we have barbells, and we use that. Uh, aerodynes, the rowers, like whatever we have available – um, you know, med balls and sandbags and, you know, anything and everything, prowlers, you know, we try to use it all. So it's just a matter of making it fun enough for my clients that they don't feel like they're doing the same stuff every day. But I keep yelling at them that we have to do the same stuff every day in order to get good at it. Um, but how can we do the same stuff? But it's a different variety of, uh, of tools in order to get the same, the same goals. So, uh, you got to give them something different because they get bored easily. So again, can I, can I just take a different implement and do a slightly different exercise that's going to accomplish the same thing? Uh, and again, you know, trying to build a full athlete and they're a lot happier with that. So for me, you know, I've acquired all these things over, over a long period of time, just to be able to now have, you know, like, Hey, you pick the tool, I'll build the workout. Right. Like I know what the goal is. Like, which one do you want to use today? Like, do you want to use body weight? Do you want to use a barbell? Do you want to get on the echo bike? Like, cool. uh, I'll program whatever you feel like using. So it helps with, uh, they like the input that they get to pick like their demise, um, for what they want to use for that day. And then I'll just program, you know, what they need for that day then too. Yeah. So it's a one-stop shop, man. You're getting, you know, better in, in life and in training and, and then also learning to to hunt dude, that's, that's awesome. And I think there's a word that the, the three of us and a lot of listeners, I think could all agree on when it comes to all this stuff that we're talking about and that's discipline, right? I mean, that is the number one thing. And when I replay a lot of say missed opportunities in the hunting situation, right? I think that it was missed place discipline like the discipline i did not have to just calm down and control the shot process or slow like in order to do that you need the discipline right and that that isn't a key into my training when it comes to the off season uh is to have that discipline to get better at that so when the heat of the moment does uh happen for me hopefully I, I connect, right? The discipline to go out there and put more cameras out there and, and put in the work and put in the effort. So I think that's a key word that, that, that I, we could talk about. And then the other one, when you were talking about the, the rest and the sleep and how your body performs and how you feel, another thing too is, is stress, right? So like I, I want to bring these two topics, these two words up just because they are things that are just to me personally, jumping out, but then also jumping out in this conversation because, you know, I, right now, I've, I've been going to bed a lot earlier, so I've been getting my rest, and because of that, and the way things are in my life, I almost feel, I don't want to say I'm stress-free because obviously that, 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 that's not common, but I'm not as stressed as I once was, and because of that, everything just seems to be a lot better and, and pushing. And because of that, with the discipline, I feel like good things are, are on the horizon. Do you know what I mean? Like you, like you were saying about what do you want to do today and putting certain uh, activities or workouts in. And my workouts have been a lot better. So two key words that I think 
hopefully a lot of people could kind of relate to. If you minimize that stress, increase that discipline, and you do this, good things could happen. So I want to touch on sleep a little bit because uh, I think this is, this is so huge. I think so many people uh, underplay this. If you can fix sleep, that'll fix most things. Uh, the way I was taught about sleep is sleep is your housekeeping. So if you want to recover, you better get a good night's sleep. So again, if you're under recovery, it's probably because you have poor quality sleep. So what are you doing in order to maximize that? And there's a bunch of different techniques. And I mean, if you guys want to go down that rabbit hole, we can talk about it. Um, but, um, you know, optimizing your sleep is, is the best thing that you can do. So, um, that I've seen huge gains in, in my stress levels just because, uh, I'm not stressed out because of lack of sleep. So, um, and I get to do the workouts that I want to do. So I am more disciplined because I have this like newfound energy, mm-hmm. but it's just because like all that house cleaning happened and like I've recovered because I've gotten that solid night's sleep and I, you know, I didn't do anything dumb, you know, to impact that sleep. So I wasn't watching, uh, let me, most of the time I don't watch YouTube late at night cause I know we all go down that rabbit hole. Um, but if I do, like I, I might wear blue blocker, blue blockers to make sure that I don't get that impact. Um, <clears throat> I like limit how much I drink like alcohol wise. Cause that alcohol is like a big deterrent for, you know, impacting your sleep. I don't eat close to bed because I know food is going to impact my sleep. Um, I'm not on my phone, you know, like everything kind of gets put away. You know, I have a bedtime routine. So, you know, and it, it's so ingrained that my dog knows it too. Like I take my dog out. Once my dog goes out, it's like, okay, we're going upstairs. I'm brushing my teeth. Like he's already passed out in the bed because he knows in about 10 minutes, like everything's winding down. So again, like I've dedicated myself to like having a very specific way to do stuff because I know that it makes me a better person, right? Which makes me a better hunter and so on and so forth. Um, But when it comes to stress, I think, um, you know, stress is stress is stress. So it doesn't matter if it's good stress or bad stress. So exercise is a stress. And a lot of people forget that, uh, as good as it can be, it can also be harmful. So if I have a lot going on, you know, and I'll use today as a good example, taught a jujitsu private at 5:45, taught jujitsu class, 630 to eight, uh, virtual teaching eight to three forty-five. personal training client, three forty-five to four forty-five. Uh, and then, you know, had to do all the stuff that I didn't get to do all day cause I was working and then, you know, to come on to here too. So, it's a lot of stress, right? Just a long day's worth of stuff. So if I do a killer workout where I just get after and crush it, that's just adding to the stress, even though it's good stress, right? Cause like I feel mentally better when I do a hard workout, but like, is that, is that good stress going to push me over the edge because I had to do virtual presentations all day and then like deal with clients and train jujitsu and, you know, and teach jujitsu. So Again, it's just like you have to reframe a lot of this stuff. And, you know, stress is good, but if we can lower what that stress level is, um, then we have more room to do that hard workout because we have the room to be able to push the limit of what that stress level goes to. And then when it comes to discipline, I think um, having success in hunting makes you want to be more disciplined. I know when I first got into hunting, like I did okay at it. Um, but the more deer I shot, the more disciplined I wanted to be because I, I saw a little bit of success and I'm like, I think I could be decent at this. And then like the discipline starts to come. Right. So then you're like, okay, uh, I'm going to work out so that I can not feel tired, drawing back 70 pounds. Um, and then like how many times do I have to draw it back? Uh, and it kind of builds from there. So even to the point of, you know, the training leading up to my season now varies because in the winter, once the season ends, I'm like, cool, strength, this is my strength program now. And then once I start leading up to it, it's like, well, I don't know how far I'm walking in on public lands if, you know, if I'm going to hunt public land. So I need to train a little bit more endurance. And then I do more, hey, you only have one shot. So go run 50 yards, pick up your bow, calm your heart rate down. And then now, like, you better hit a heart shot. You know, and then like, that's it. That's the only shooting I'm doing that day because like, that's the only shot I'm getting in the woods. So now it's the discipline of like, can I do breath control work? 
and I learned how to slow my heart rate down because I don't know about you guys, like anytime I see a deer, I'm like, this is happening. <laughs> Let's go. Right. And then I'm like, Oh, I need to calm down. Like, uh, like this deer is still a hundred yards away. I better start calming down a lot quicker. Um, you know, so it's, uh, it's just practicing those techniques. So again, the, the discipline has changed over the years, but it also changes per season too. Um, and then with that discipline, like I know that's lowering my stress rate. Like this is the most confident I've been going into a season because I know like I've done all my scouting work. I've done all the trail cameras. I've like hung my stands already. Uh, I I've shot more than I've ever shot. I've shot further than I've ever shot. So my confidence rate is, is through the roof because I've, I've taken like I've been shooting at 60 yards and I will never see that in the woods in New Jersey. The furthest deer I shot was like 27 yards and I shoot most of them within 20. Um, so like I love the ability to practice at long ranges because it's so much easier shooting at short range then. So like for me, I think that's, you know, with stress and discipline, that's what I'm looking for. How about you, Dimitri? Anything else to add to that? Well, and what I would add to that is, you know, another word that you could kind of use is what is your goals, right? Yeah. You know, is, is a big thing, whether you're fitness or, you know, outdoors is, is what is that goal, right? You know, and that's what I asked the first day before we get into any assessment with a patient is, is what is your goal, right? You know, what do you want to get back to? What do you want to achieve? What are things that you want to be able to do when we're, when we're done here, Right. Um, and that goes with, with hunting season, you know, what, what is your goal? And that's going to kind of determine what your discipline is going to be to achieve that goal. And then again, that's same thing as like Matt said, it's going to change year to year and you have to determine first what your goal is going to be. And then you can decide what you're going to do to achieve that goal. Right. Well, with that, do you guys, you know, you have your goals for the year, then do you look back and say like, okay, this is what I did to prepare. Did I, did I accomplish that? And then like, how do I then change around that training program I did last year in order to better it? Right. So taking last year's plan and just always evolving and always evolving. Right. That's something that, uh, I just started doing, you know, last year to this year to see like, okay, like I did okay last year, but like, I want to do better. So what do I do in order to do that? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, shoot, Dimitri and I, we had a podcast last night that we recorded and there was uh, there was something that you said, Dimitri, in it where I, I, I'm lo I lost it here, my, my thought process, but I remember you saying how the way we used to approach things and now how you, how much it has evolved since then. And like, if we want, like, you know, a couple of uh, seasons ago, we were like, we're going to be more aggressive. That's our goal was being more aggressive, but that aggressiveness wasn't necessarily in the right manner. We quote unquote hunted the bedrooms, but it was totally the wrong time or they were, weren't even near that area. Like it was just, you know what I mean? Just certain little things like that, that I feel like since then we've approved upon. And now when we say we're getting more aggressive, we know what that means in a sense and could strategically do that. And, you know, last year was a perfect example of, of getting aggressive, getting on sign when, you know, Dimitri connected on a buck did not recover, but at the same time he used those tools and those strategies and did it right. And just other, you know, just multiple examples. And uh, yeah, I mean, this year it was kind of like, I, you know, like you said, Matt, what, what do you want to get better at? And ho hopefully all the things that I've done in this off season is going to hopefully lead into a better year this year, just because last year I, I was rewatching certain video clips that I never put out, but that I had, and I forget what it was a late October. And, and, and in the interview, I say, man, what a funny year for me and my friends, my friends and I, because we've seen a couple, we saw more bucks, but they were not shootable. They weren't legal. You know, I don't know how many spikers, forkers that Dimitri and I first saw. We never even saw a doe. Like, we saw more spikers than we saw doe the first half of freaking October. And, you know what I mean? So it was, it was just an odd year. So it's like, okay, how do you better that? Well, do more scouting. Go 
try different techniques, try to put more cameras in different areas and move them around. Just certain things like that, that go and pass through camera data, see what the wind was, see what the high and low temperature is kind of obviously when this comes out, you know, obviously Steve Shirk has done that, but like we we're doing it ourselves too, just to get a, a handle on it, just to see in our specific areas. Like, is there a pattern that we could figure out for us? Right. So just trying to be a better overall hunter and, and, and do all that stuff. But yeah, man, it's, this is, uh, it's all, it's all inspiring information. You know, that's, that's the key and that's what it's about. I love that you guys go back through all the camera data and pull at times and like the wind direction and the temperatures I've done moon phases. I've tried to like any correlation I could try to find on like how to pattern these bucks. Uh, I have yet to figure it out. Yep. And, uh, I've seen them do stuff that like everyone says like deer don't do that. And I'm like, cool. I just watched one yesterday do the (laughs) complete opposite of what people said. Um, so yeah, like I'm glad to hear other people do that, like deep dive into that information, uh, and go about it that way. But the other interesting I heard you say is that you guys saw a lot of bucks. We had a EHD run through New Jersey and barely saw any last year it was the, the worst season i think i've ever experienced just with seeing deer see see but that's, that's a great them. example like that was the thing that like dimitri i mean please attest to this like i mean it was a struggle bus full-fledged struggle bus like seeing deer on stand or saddle whatever you want to say i remember that like i said dimitri it was that third weekend when me you and your dad were up on public land and we were like celebrating because we had one doe run through the, between the three of us. We we're like, yes, we finally saw a deer on public land. Whereas like the year prior, Matt, we were passing them because there were so many. And, you know, there was we we're like, let's not muck this area up like this is going to be great during the rut. And which it was the next year was a whole different animal was a whole different beast. So, yeah, last year was a strange, strange year. It's funny. I, uh, I hunt two different types of property. I, there's one public land that has, has giants on it. It's swamp area, um, but it's public land. So you guys understand what that's like yep. and who you're fighting. And then I, I hunt, uh, do a little urban hunting, like a small, like three acre property in someone's backyard. And, um, the deer are nice deer. They're like nice seven, eight pointers, not very big racks. Um, but they're just nice deer, but there's a lot of them. Um, and last year my buddy went out on public land and just to go scout and he just picture after picture of deer next to the river and giants just like decimated with EHD. And I barely hunted public land last year because he went out a couple of times. It's like, I don't see him on camera. I'm not seeing him in person. So I, I stayed mostly on the private land and, and still even saw the struggle there too as well. So, um, yeah, it was, it was an interesting year last year. So. I got a lot of ca- trail camera pictures that say differently this year. So we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll see what happens though. So. Well, and I even think that like you said, Matt is do do you assess after the season to see if you achieve those goals? And I think that's what a lot of people lack too is, you know, I even heard it on a, a the fall podcast today, uh, listening to Aaron, he was talking about his Ohio hunt, uh, last year where he kind of, was scouting his way in and he kind of found this this hub that with a pinch point that looked just really good that you couldn't see on the map and, and he hunted there and he he harvested a nice buck but you know most people and i and i'm guilty of this too is is you know you harvest that buck you're all excited and and and, and then you don't think of why was that buck in there at that time right if you if you look at the the, the best killers you know out there in the hunting industry they know exactly why that buck was in there. And if they didn't at the time they killed it, they go back in there. And that's what Aaron was talking about. The next day, you know, we would just kind of move on, right? You know, maybe we're going to try to fill a doe tag or, you know, film a buddy or, you know, just move on with the season. You know, he went back in there and and did scouting of why that buck was moving through that area at that time you know, what terrain features around there? Where was the bedding? Where was the food source? So he was trying to, even after the fact, put those pieces together. That way he can use that intel for further seasons down the road, right? And I think that's what we miss. And, and those great hunters, and that's what they do, right? You know, whether it's before or after, they're always putting the puzzle together 
and then they know exactly why that worked. A lot of people, you know, because in the rut, right, a lot of us, yeah. we just get lucky, right? And that deer's just cruising through, and we're happen to sit there, and, and, you know, and we harvest them, and then, you know, we're all excited. But, you know, figuring it out is the hard part, and that's the thing that we kind of lack and just kind of move on to the next season without really assessing and, and trying to uh, draw a conclusion to the season and till we move on to the next. That is a really important part, even for Matt, for you to take like to these new hunters. That is something, that, Dimitri, like when we talk about new hunters, because, you know, we're in an educational house family field, you know, both of our wives are teachers. I'm a teacher and we see these young kids and there's certain things that you see on, on these TV shows, on YouTube channels and, you know, all these opportunities where some of these guys hunt. And that's a, that's a great example to, to kind of take back to some of these new, uh, you know, onset adult hunters and all that stuff to, you know, hopefully maybe in Virginia when it, when the time comes. Yeah. So we have the property owner in one of the signal chats with us, uh, kind of giving that information of saying like, Hey, here's a screenshot of the property. Here's a bedding area. Here's a feeding area. We're going to set up here during the morning because they're transitioning this way. We're going to set up over here in the afternoons because they're transitioning this way. So we're already on top of like giving them some recon information. Mm -hmm. So that way when they get there, they're not totally blind of what's going to happen. So we're trying to talk them through that a month and a half, like out from their hunt just to, so that they can start studying the map a little bit better um, and, and go about it that way. But I will say like Nodens has really brought on a crew of people that is impressive and they, they, they're far smarter than I am. And I'm so happy that there's more people involved because I was like, Oh, I got to teach all of this hunting stuff. Like I know a decent amount, but like, we're going to figure this out together. So I'm glad we're pulling in more people to be like, Hey, like I, I know this pretty well like let me take this like aspect of it like aj prime example bringing on aj as archery because you know like none of us are archery instructors or archery coaches and aj like as humble as he is will say that he's not one either but he is um and he's way better than the rest of us so it's nice to have other people who specialize in a very specific skill like that um to be able to come in and drop that knowledge so yeah the more people you can get involved with new hunters, I think the, the better it is. Yeah, no doubt. What's the uh, game plan for yourself for this upcoming year in Jersey? Um, we start Saturday. So um, I'm ready to sling some arrows. Uh, <laughs> so my, uh, my, my twin hunts, so he'll be out with me. Uh, one of my other buddies from jujitsu uh, got us onto the property, uh, the private land property. So we have our game plan. We're, we're, uh, I'll be saddle hunting. They'll be into uh, a ladder stand and a hang-on stand. And we kind of got the property laid out. Um, and the deer's going to walk by one of us. And um, it's going to be a good day. So I'll probably sit all day Saturday or as long as I can sit for the majority of it. Um, I want everyone to shoot a deer by 10 a.m., but we'll see what happens. Now, do you have? Um, do you still have that doe first rule? Yep, earn a buck. Yeah, so... Um, there are a lot of does on the property. So I hope that we can kind of bounce them around and everyone get their dough. You know, like if I shoot one, uh, I know it's going to push it to my brother and my brother will shoot one and I'll push it to my buddy Pat uh, and everyone wins. And now like, okay, everyone's looking for a buck now. So um, yeah, that's the goal. Um, try to get a doe as quickly as possible. So this way there's some, there's some monsters walking around. So um the issue, though, is the property owner wants uh, all the deer shot because he's got a very expensive garden and they keep eating his garden. <laughs> and the beauty about the zone I hunt in New Jersey is it's unlimited does, or sorry, unlimited antlerless deer. So um, he's just like, if you're not shooting enough, I'll bring in someone else to shoot more deer. And I'm like, okay, so I'll <laughs> see what I can do. It's interesting because he'll be mowing his lawn and waving at us. And it's... Well, uh, come on, they're in here. <laughs> Yeah, urban hunting is definitely a, a surreal type of experience. Uh, and the property layout's pretty cool. So the way it works out is uh, a river is in the backyard. Um, this guy owns three acres. His daughter owns the property next door, which is three acres. And then it's a community garden on the other side of that. 
Uh, and then on the side of the property we hunt is 10 acres of wildlife management area that's not huntable. So they walk from the wildlife management area across both properties to the community garden and then walk back. So we just wait there. And uh, he's just like, listen, there's a ton of deer tra- like transitioning back and forth. He's just like, shoot as many as you're legally allowed to shoot, please. Um, because he's, again, he's got this expensive garden and he goes, they stop at my garden before they go to the community garden. And I, I don't want them to stop at my garden anymore. Um, so I'll get a text and just say, Hey, just saw six deer walking by. Why are you not in the woods? Uh, and I'm like, I'm like, sir, like, sorry, he's, he's an old Marine. <clears throat> so I'm like, sir, sorry. Like I got to work. He's just like, I'll pay you to shoot these deer. Like come get these deer off my property. So he's the best landowner uh, I've ever experienced. And, you know, he yells at me if I don't shoot enough deer. Uh, and I always give him venison. The first deer we shoot always goes to him. So I butcher it for him and, and, and bring him a bag. Uh, so he appreciates it. And um, But, yeah, he, he's so good. He's just like, hey, they were walking this way, you know, yesterday. You know, you might want to set up over here now. And that's the beauty of saddle hunting. It's like he doesn't mind. He's like, sit on my back porch for all I care. He goes like. <laughs> whatever you need to get them. Uh, so it's, uh, it's really nice when you have that relationship with the landowner, you know, and, uh, I was out scouting, I was checking cameras one day and he comes out with his dog and, you know, he's walking his dog on the path and he's just like, you're going to have a good year this year. I've been seeing them. You're going to have a really good year. He's just like, Oh, just watch out. There's bears now. And I'm like, no, I saw the bears on the cameras. So like, we'll be aware of that. So, and you guys can't shoot bears, right? Uh, no, this, you guys want to, this is a great story. Uh, no, so they, they outlawed it and, um, it was two years ago. Yeah. So they outlawed it last year was the first year they outlawed it. So two years ago, I'm walking down to my stand we, down a hill and then we walk into the woods and I, I make a right hand turn after the brush and there's a 200 pound bear sitting, eating all my corn. And, uh, and I'm like, ah, like three days before bear season. And I'm like, okay, like, so me and my buddy scared away. I get up into the ladder stand. I was going to sit in that day based off the wind. And uh, sure enough, the bear circles back around and comes back. And I sat and watched it for an hour underneath me eating 50 pounds of corn. Uh, at, uh, I mean, I'm 15 feet up in the air, but it was 10 yards from the ladder stand. Jeez. Hung out just and just belly crawled and just like shoving all of my <laughs> All of my beat into its mouth. Well, what a dumb, then, like yeah. what a dumb law. Because here you guys are allowed to bait for whitetail, but you're not allowed to hunt bear. But what do you think is drawing all these? Oh, man, that just doesn't make sense. Well, it's yeah. So we ended up stop like stop the baiting process because the bears were. Um, it wasn't just one bear. Like there was multiple bears coming around. So, mm-hmm. but New Jersey, like. It's neighborhoods, so they're they're the ones eating trash as well. So, um, but we've like there's been a ton of incidents on the news now of bear attacks in North Jersey, like the wooded sections where there's more bear around. So uh, I'm curious on how long this is going to last. We'll see. Uh, I hope that they open it back up because one of my bucket list items is to shoot a bear and harvest one. Um, and I was really excited for that season to happen because bears were coming around and I was like, okay, three days before the season starts, like there's a bear right underneath my stand. I'm going to shoot one. And then sure enough, that bear never showed back up. But when the season actually opened up, because that's how it works, right? They know when the season starts and they disappear. Right. So, um, yeah, we'll see. I'm, I'm curious on how this is going to work though. Sounds fun. And then you obviously have the hunt going down in, in Virginia with the, with the veterans and everything. So yep. when, when is that hunt again? What, when did you say that one was? So, uh, veterans weekend. So the November, November 11th to the 14th, I think we'll be out there. Um, so it'll be prime time for them to, to shoot some deer. Cause you know, they're going to be active that time. So yeah, it's, it's an interesting experience. We, we, uh, we camp. So we, we buy tents. A couple of people have some, um, rooftop tents and we'll get like a 12 person tent and everyone's just kind of hanging out. We have deer camp set up on the property, kind of like, secluded away from all the hunting areas so it's just a lot of bro time and team time uh everyone hanging out around the campfire sharing some stories and you know taking it all in and hopefully we're we're eating venison backstraps every night so (laughs) now so i i i do want to say one thing matt and that is like for people whether you're i mean obviously because you've already mentioned the whole 
uh, being virtual side of things. And obviously, if you are more so in that area of North Jersey, if you are listening, you are you are like a one stop shop for uh, a, a, an individual that I guess kind of lives that lifestyle and 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 you offer the human performance right you do the brazilian jiu-jitsu stuff and then obviously the hunting like you have that forte that background the knowledge uh the the kind of like what we like to say in our industry you know you got the certificate to prove and show you right you're not just some you know qualified hunter out there like you, you know you have you have the credentials to to back you behind your name Man, you you got a lot going on, and and I I wish you the best of luck with 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 your uh, Venator stuff. Appreciate because, that, yeah. Man, it's it's a really cool thing. You're, you're doing some cool things with some veterans, which is awesome. We support that 100. percent And man, you're not far, and you're a saddle hunter, so hell yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I'm always willing to drive, so yeah. yeah whenever we can try to link up, that would be well, great. I mean, I'd love that. Yeah, I mean, like obviously you're not far, so I mean, if if you ever want to chase some bear, dude, there's. There's plenty of bear to go around in, in this state as well. So, and uh, we look forward to, to seeing your success and what you, the future holds for you and, and uh, everything you have going on. So best of luck to you, man. I really appreciate that. I feel yeah, like I this, is, this was a, a good yeah. conversation to have. And uh, I think like prior to the season, I hope people kind of take that, that whole discipline and stress because, you know, obviously when the season does approach right now, we're sitting here like, ah, oh, we're all amped up. We're all ready to go. But then like when week two happens again, we maybe have not seen a deer, you know, for shit, we're going to be stressed as hell. So, yeah, you yeah, know, I so, know how that goes. so I mean, right now is a, is a good time. Hopefully when this comes out, it motivates you a little bit to, uh, get, getting in gear with, with maybe a little bit of a personal health side, side of things, or even to, Hey, now's the time to, if you're already not practicing shooting, maybe from an elevated position to go do that, right? Get, get your discipline dialed in and, uh, get better at it. So man, Matt, where could people find you follow along? I know you got your, your, your business side of, of things, but also plug your personal as well. All right. So, uh, my website is venatorhp.com. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at venator human performance or matthew.wiswesser. Um, is my personal one. So yeah, just reach out, happy to help whoever I can help out. You know, I think, um, I want everyone to be successful in whatever it is, hunting, jujitsu, uh, or just life. So whatever I can provide, you know, happy to provide that. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for again for coming on. Thanks guys. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks again, everybody for listening. We'll tune in next week and, uh, antler up.